The content of this podcast is intended for an adult audience due to the nature of sensitive subject matter and topics. Welcome to the Romantic Truth Podcast. You may also visit us at romantictruth.org or on Facebook at Romantic Truth in the search. Now, without further ado, introducing Jorzen, the host of Romantic Truth from our studio in Las Vegas. Hi everyone, Johnson with you here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Hope everyone's doing well. I want to thank the listeners that have gone to Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, and Deezer to listen to my tracks. It's, uh, for those of you who don't know, J-A-U-S-A-N. You can just type that in a search on any one of the four applications in the search bar. And click on the artists, follow and like and listen to the music. I have a lot of uh, tracks there that we made. And I want to thank those of you who have. Uh, also, I want to thank you, the listeners, in all of the countries throughout the world that listen to the show. And of course, people in the U.S. as well, definitely. You guys are the people that make this show great. All of you throughout the world. Thank you. Now, what are we going to talk about today? We've got a lot of things to talk about. I'm going to read an email first from Ryan. And Ryan is out of Stamford, Connecticut, and he writes the following. I recently got labeled by a lady as a passport broke. I date women from other countries. Yes, I travel to the countries to meet them and see them. And I'm hoping someday to find a wife. I've kind of thrown my hands on the domestic market. Many of the American women that I've run into are materialistic and have an attitude chip on their shoulders. They've been in bad relationships, and it wasn't my fault that they chose the bad guy, but I should not have to be the whipping boy for it. I've listened to your show now for a month, and I'm learning a lot, and I feel as though I'm on the right track. Would you think so by me dating women from overseas? I'm supposed to go to Iceland in a couple of weeks. I met a girl online, and we're going to see if we can work things out. Any ideas concerns or anything about Iceland that I should know about. All right. Um, one thing I can tell you in certain Nordic countries, I've been to Iceland before the Reykjavik. Um, one thing I will tell you, the lady that I met there, she was very kind. Uh, if the woman is into you, she will offer to buy things for you. Like, for instance, if you're at a pub or restaurant, she may offer to pay for the food. And, you know, she's doing this out of a nicety, something that you don't see here in America so often. Now, when I was there, hamburgers were about, it's like 20 bucks for burgers and fries. And that's a rarity, you know, because they usually use a lot of soups and um, stews. Um, beer is around $8 a paint, something like that. Condoms are very expensive, so take your own over, because they run about 8 bucks a piece. Um, now, one thing that I'll give you some advice on. The women there, and you may want to use, download the Cousins app. It's an app that you can actually 
make sure that you're not related to anyone there, but usually the locals use it. It's not uncommon for the woman one to sleep with you first before actually committing or dating with you. Now, this is not everyone in Iceland, not all the women, but there's some women that think that that's one of the prerequisites before they decide to go forward with you for a relationship. So, don't be surprised if that happens. They are more accommodating, less rigid. They're not easy. You know, this whole stereotype of women being easy in other countries is bullshit. Um, it makes American women feel better when they say something like that to, to try to deter men or shame men from dating internationally. So don't be fooled by that rhetoric. Half of them haven't been out of the country and they wouldn't know. They just say that. It's a refrain. So, you'll find a good woman. The lady that I dated over there was really nice. And uh, I was there for a short period, but I will tell you one thing. It seemed like a longer period than it was. And not only that, when I was there, you had that fire and ice thing going. And it was a volcano that was at the point, it didn't erupt, but you could see some of the uh, mist from it. And um, we had a wonderful time. Now, if you go into the swimming pool there at the hotel, if you're at a hotel, uh, they do require you to shower. And when I say shower, I mean wash your ass before you go into the pool. And you'll be totally nude, and it's usually co-ed. And yes, your dick's going to get hard because you're going to see some women that you'd like to, oof, you'd like to plow into. But they're real big on hygiene. That's one thing I'll tell you. A couple other things that you may notice while you're there. One common thing that they like to do is to stand in line for ice cream and sit in the car with the heater on and eat ice cream. Don't ask me why. That's common. Uh, it's not uncommon for them to maybe ride a bicycle and leave the child, if they have an infant or something, um, on the back of the bicycle outside while they go inside to eat. I know in America that would be abuse, but over there, you know, traditionally they have this thing of, you know, toughening the kids up, the kids' immune system. Some will do that, not all. So you'll see these kind of things. As far as a uh, number of minorities, far and in between. And usually they will be with a partner who's Icelandic. So expect that. But I hope you have a wonderful time. Good people. Language is a little tough. But, you know, but you when you speak the language, which I can't speak to this very day, I tried but it's like you're speaking on the exhale as, as opposed to the inhale. But it's a good country, good people. Very nice. All right, so I hope I answered your question there. Now, when it comes down to passport roles, a lot of men have done this. This started back in around 2016 and started up again. And this is something that I did years ago and I will tell you, 
it what it does, it diversifies you. And it gets you to a point where you know what to look for. If you were to come back to the States and date a woman, you would have more of a broader spectrum. That's the reason why I'm so specific about a woman that I would date. Because you know what to look for. Because they show you certain qualities. And it's not the bedroom. And that's the one thing that you have to realize. A lot of these women in these different countries, they don't focus on the bedroom so much. Yes, that's part of the relationship, but that's not the focal point. When you have a woman who genuinely genuinely loves you, who's taking care of you, who is looking at it from the standpoint of appreciating you as who you are, it's a whole different thing. Monica wasn't born in the United States. She was born in Italy. And there were certain characteristics that she had that blew me away because I was not used to a woman that didn't focus on materialism. That's one thing that you'll find in many of these countries. Now, there's some that they're going to be materialistic because they want to be like American women. But there are a lot of others. They don't even face that shit. One thing that I will tell you, in your travels, always look for a woman who is not interested in coming to the United States. Someone who's already had relatives or who have already been to the United States so that they're over that particular hump. Because that's going to help you a lot. Now, because what that does, it sets expectations a little bit better for both of you. And she's not sitting there with bated breath waiting for you to sweep off her feet and take her to another country where she could live like a queen. And if things do materialize where the two of you can be together, then that's all to the good where you can bring her back. But that's one of the red flags you need to look for. The other red flag you need to look for. If her family is urging her to marry you and to go overseas with you, go back to the States with you, more than likely they might try to make her a mule. In other words, yeah, she'll get back in the States and then she'll be remitting transfers the whole time, sending money back home. I would tell you, it's better to have someone who has their parents already established there. So if you were to go with her, yes, you could still go back home. You could still go visit her parents with her. But it's not a situation where they cannot function without her money. This is a key thing. All right. Um, In certain countries, women are very possessive. They may grab your hand and say, you're my man. Places like Ghana, places like Philippines. And then they become very guarded, meaning that any other woman that tries to come around, she's competition, and they're trying to shoo them off. You don't find that so much here in the States. Women just don't come out of the gate like that. They usually gradually work their way up. Now, a question I always get, are American women better than women overseas? No, they're different. The focal point is different. You don't find women overseas so materialistic in general. Usually, it's based on poverty. 
like I tell guys all the time, you go to a place like China or somewhere like that. I've never been to mainland China, but I went to Hong Kong and uh, Macau, Kowloon. And I can tell you, if you're dealing with a woman, you want someone who's kind of humble. Someone that has a background where, yeah, they've gone to college and those kind of things, or they may be in a village somewhere. But the one thing you want to keep in mind is this. If it's all about them talking about coming to the States, talking about earning a lot of money, leave them where they are. Don't deal with them. I hope this helped you out. Um, they may ask you more about your family in these other countries uh, besides Iceland. I don't know where you would go. But they will ask you different questions about certain things in America, that kind of thing. And it may be foreign and weird to them. So I hope I answered your question, sir. Now, let's go on to the topic of the day, which is emotional intelligence and identity. That's right, EI and ID. What is emotional intelligence? Well, emotional intelligence is the ability to manage your feelings, your reactions, your behavior prior to you actually responding to a situation. Now, discipline would be a better term. With this level of emotional intelligence, you also are considerate of other people's feelings, the way you communicate with them, the way you could pick up on certain uh, cues that they give you. Understanding that all of us as human beings have triggers of some sort. Things that may make us afraid, things that may make us angry, things that, that may make us happy, things that may make us question things. So, with this, make sure that you understand this. Because what happens a lot of times in relationships, people don't think about the other party. They make the assumption that they know what the other party wants, know how they think, know how they feel. Now, true enough, you're trying to put yourself in that partner's shoes, but guess what? You may not fit because it may be a different dynamic than you have kind of thought through. Listening skills are very important. This is part of the emotional intelligence portfolio. Not only listening to others, but listening to yourself. You know, sometimes a moral consciousness will kick in about doing the right thing first. Don't ignore it. If that comes up first, that's what you need to do. Because usually, self-preservation doesn't lie to itself. Now, what this means is you having a sense of self. You remember the four categories of questions I always tell you about? Who are you? What's your purpose? What are your strengths and weaknesses? What are your intentions? These are four specific areas where you can define who you are. This is a nomenclature for your identity. But another thing to keep in mind too, it is also a way where you can establish 
these things about you, well, you can make an assessment of your own emotional intelligence. How in tune or aware you are emotionally. This will help you first decipher what you want from what you need. And it will make you a little bit more cognizant of the type of person that would need to be in your life. Now, we want people in our lives that are attractive, that are handsome, that are this or that. But we also have to consider the needs. Where do we come up short in certain things? What are we not good at that someone can help us out with? How can we grow? We need someone maybe to kind of be our companion in that growth process. How can we go forward? How can we make ourselves feel better with someone else in our company? These are things we need to really look at. Now, here's the other aspect of this we have to consider. When we get into relationships a lot of times, what are we doing? Trying to figure the person out, right? The easiest way is to use two things, listening and observation. More often than not, a person will tell you what they're about, what they want at some point. So you have to use selective hearing, passive hearing, listening for selective things that are important to them, milestones in their conversation. My birthday is coming up in three weeks. Oh, really? Um, well, happy birthday before it's your birthday. Now, in certain countries like Germany, for instance, you want to acknowledge it on the birthday and not after or before. Out of courtesy. But just like in most places. But here in the States, people that take a birthday wish a month out, in some cases, if not more. Now, the other thing, too, to keep in mind is that when it comes to relationships and using your emotional intelligence, people will give you cues. They may say some things, but they're expecting a response from you. Let me give you an example. There was a lady I went out with here in Vegas a few months ago. And she says, yeah, you know, my rent's due and I don't know what I'm going to do. What she was trying to see was whether or not I was going to give a response such as, well, how much do you need? She thought her beauty, her shape, and the fact that she was in my presence was enough in order to warrant me to follow up. Sorry, lady. When it comes to money, that dollar bill with those curves and those two lines, those curves are finer than any woman would ever be to me. And the first thing I thought was, she can't afford to pay her own bills. I'm not interested. I didn't follow up on her cue. Her whole attitude changed after that. Very short, very curt. Ended the date promptly. She wouldn't have nothing to 
with me. I was okay with that because that was a liability I would have taken on. That's just like she was delinquent with a rent. She probably could have been delinquent with something else. And being that I didn't know her, I, was, I know the extent of her delinquencies. Not only could it have been a rent, it could have been a car payment, utilities, phone bill, and everything else. This is the reason why I say it's a minimal standard. Men and women, just make it where they can pay their own bills. That's it. Nothing really complicated. They don't have to be wealthy. It makes it much easier for you. It gives you a broader pool of people to select from. But many of you go for the money. You want somebody that's wealthy where you can have this lavish lifestyle. We can only remember that it's only in the 20 percentile of our population that has that. I was fortunate to have a woman who had that luxury. But I also had to realize that was her life. And I was not to be included in that in the sense that it was not my wealth. It was hers. Even though she would want to share it with me. But I still looked at it from the standpoint, this is what you were born into, not me. I enjoy the experience of being with you. But I'm not going to let my life be consumed by that lifestyle. But here's the thing that you have to also understand. With emotional intelligence comes discipline. And that's a hard one for some people. Because that means that you have to deny yourself things when you really want them. And you have to sometimes work through things. And of course, what happens? You go externally too much, then you become very dependent on other people. And when that happens, you're not as popular, you're not as desired because of that premise. We're going to talk more in a moment. Now, with emotional intelligence, you have to be able to pick up on certain things, certain cues, as I said before. One of them happens to be when someone is pushing an agenda. Let's say, for instance, you meet someone online. You meet them that night online. We'll say it's 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. Well, it's kind of late at that point. You were getting ready for work on Monday, that kind of thing. And let's say that person says, you know, I know this bar that's open until midnight. Let's go there to meet. I'll meet you there in an hour. And of course, you're the guy. You're saying, damn, you know, wow, okay. Because he's going to take advantage of the opportunity to meet this person that he doesn't know yet. So he goes, he meets her there, and he's wondering, okay, now in most of the other Situations when I'm dating someone, it's usually a little time that would take place. We meet maybe on that Sunday, but we probably won't go out on our first date until that next Friday, or at least the Friday afterwards. And so he goes and he meets this person, and she's all hugs, kickling, kisses, and giggles to meet him. And 
she's pushing forward the relationship at warp speed. So they meet, she goes over, gives him a hug. And as soon as she does that, she becomes very affectionate. She locks fingers with him, holds his hand, leans up against him. Now she is expediting her agenda. Now it could be a million and one things. It could be that she just wants to sleep with him. But in this case, it would be more of a sense of objectification, right? So therefore, she probably wouldn't go through the emotional convincing with him, with the hugs and being close and that kind of thing. She would have rather met him somewhere. She could have come over to his place. They could have had sex or whatever if she wanted to expedite it on that level. So in this case, it may not be so obvious with that as far as the sex. So she's with them. They order drinks. They're sitting there. And she's rushing through the conversation, talking about her family, talking about her dog, talking about her cat, asking him if he lives alone. Now, the reason why she's doing this is possibly because she needs a place to stay. She might have had a fallen out with a boyfriend, could have been kicked out of the house, but she needs something expeditiously. This is the reason why she's pushing everything forward. Now, she's leveraging the luxury of her femininity and vulnerability being exposed to you as the man against your masculinity to be that man and to pick up everything she's putting down. For some guys, this form of manipulation works. So, we'll say they've had drinks and the night's late and she said, well, you know, I really like you a lot. Why don't we go to your place? You're thinking that you got lucky. And you're like, damn, okay, that was quick. Hell, I just went online and I met her, and now all of a sudden, poof, she's in my place. Now, while she's there, she's making herself comfortable. She's going in there, she's showering. She comes out with a towel wrapped around her, and you're feeling it. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this. So you go get with her. She sleeps with you that night. And you're thinking, wow. Now, the next morning, she's got to go to work. So you're going to drop her off at work. And she may tell you something like, you know, I usually don't, you know, sleep with someone on the first date, et cetera, et cetera. And could you give me a ride to work? Okay, uh, well, let's do so. You drop her off at work. And on the way, She's talking to you about a commitment, about how she would like to have a boyfriend. And what she's trying to do is convince you, based on that first evening, that she would be the best choice for you. You're kind of reserved, but you're like, damn, I don't want to miss out on this. I slept with her. She's really into me. Why not? And you go on and make the commitment. You drop off at work, she gives you a kiss. 
Now you have a girlfriend. She tells you what time she gets off to pick her up. And you go, you pick her up. You go by where she lives. She gets her clothes. And she goes with you back to your place. Now, she's not bringing all of her clothes. She's just bringing a substantial amount to carry her through the week. Because now, she envisions herself as being part of your life cycle. And now, she's in it. The words, you and I, fade. It's now we, us, and ours. And you're still trying to get your head around the fact that that Sunday night you guys met, and from that Sunday night all the way until that next Friday, you guys have been together, she's been over your place, she's changing clothes, she's showering there, she's cooking food, she's eating with you. She's been a dutiful girlfriend. Now, you don't know much about this woman and you're trying to find out. She's only letting you know some things that would be pertinent. She's not giving you the full picture, but you're loving it because you got this attention and you got this woman at your disposal. Now, let's peel the onion and take a look at what's happening here. You've been love-bombed. The reason why you've been love-bombed is because of the fact that what this woman is doing, she's pushing her agenda forward with you. And that agenda is, I need a place to stay. I need security. I need someone who's already established. Ladies, men do this as well. You try to call only men hobosexuals, but women fall into the same category too. Now, here's the thing. With a hobosexual, usually they're not working. But we'll give this woman the benefit of the doubt as working. You're liking a relationship. Relationship's going smoothly. And then eventually she tells you, oh, we don't need a condom. I have the IUD. You wind up two weeks later after you had sex, she's pregnant. That changes the course of everything. That changes the course of your lifestyle, your standard of living the way you guys are going to live. And she's going forward with plans. What I'm getting at is this. In the bar, after the first night together, when she wanted to go home with you and didn't know you, that should have been your first red flag. Your EI should have kicked in soon as she said, let's go and have a drink at 9 o'clock at night on a Sunday. What that tells you is that she had an agenda. See, the only time a woman will rush into something is if she has an agenda to meet based on some sort of fixed time schedule. You know, you've heard women talk about, oh, I want to have a baby before I'm 35. Biological clock is ticking. They base it on that. It becomes very clinical. Now, there are certain triggers that you may actually hit 
Just like I call it an emotional minefield. You don't know if you stepped on one. She goes silent. What's wrong? Nothing. And then if you ask her again, she becomes aggravated. So you don't say anything. Oh, nothing. See, if nothing's really wrong with the lady, the one thing she's going to do, she's going to smile and engage in a conversation with you. Sure enough, she could be thinking about something. But whatever she's thinking about, you would be a refreshing diversion from whatever she's thinking about. Because what would happen at that point is she'd have a smile on her face. She'd be engaging in a conversation. Because you thought enough out of, of her to take her out of those thoughts that she was so deep into. Even though it's a temporary diversion, she will show appreciation for it by smiling and interacting with you. <coughs> there are others that will give you the old smile when, when they lift up the two corners of the lips and then drop them back down. Squint their eyes maybe when they do it and then go back to wherever they zoned out to. Now, as a man, if you haven't done anything wrong, whatever it is with her is cerebral and emotional. And this is what you have to think about, especially on first dates. Now, you know I tell you don't pick the person up, but just in case you happen to pick her up and she is, like, preoccupied with thought... It's a good possibility she may be doing something that she shouldn't be doing. Like going out on a date with you when she's in a relationship with someone else or married to someone else. And that'd be weighing on her conscience. And she may not even want to hear your voice. Like, for instance, so where do you want to go eat? You know, please, I, I don't want any conversation. Anything, anywhere you want to go is fine with me that attitude and you wonder where in the hell it came from didn't come from you she was triggered by something prior to being with you on that date and it's still feeling and of course that ruins the experience now there's another tactic that some try you know when you're on social media or you may be even on a dating app. And you'll see this more on social media where they'll say, my boyfriend is a jerk. He's this, he's that, he's cheated on me, etc., etc." Then maybe one of her girlfriends or someone in her friends list comments and say, girl, you're right, my man did the same thing. And then she becomes defensive and flips the script. You don't know him. As far as you know, my relationship is fine. You had no business in my relationship, even though they shared their business on the internet about their relationship. But here is the thing they're looking for. They're looking for a sparring partner. That's the reason why they bait as a victim. They come out and bait a person. I'm going to bring this horrible thing to everybody's attention. So I'll get the attention. And the first person that comes in, that's the person that I'm going to share my frustrations with and make them the whipping boy or girl even though this person can't get through to the person they would like to who is their partner they feel as though the next best thing to be in there is to attack someone 
that they don't really care about. You see this taken out on people in customer service desk. You see this taken out on people on the phone with customers. You see this taken out with people who are at the airport. Especially like when the flight is delayed because the plane needs to be worked on and the person's there on time and they go up and the passenger is upset and they're saying, well, you guys need to fix that damn plane. Well, is it the person at the desk fault? No. It has to do with the mechanic, but you can't yell at the mechanic. You can't yell at the pilot. So this person's the only person you can externalize your anger to. But you got to ask yourselves, why are you angry in the first place? You had no control over that plane like they did. You worried about your time? You worried about the potential of being late? To arrive where you want to arrive? Or are you just mad because you're not convinced? You're inconvenienced? That's usually where our anger comes from. Being inconvenienced. It's nothing more than disappointment on steroids. So why are you raising your blood pressure? Why are you making someone else's day hell? Because you're inconvenienced and crying like a child? Instead of saying, okay, well, I can't go anywhere until the plane's fixed anyway. I'm not a mechanic. I can't fix the damn plane. She's not a mechanic that's at the customer service desk. So we have to wait. And then what do you do? Damn, you know, instead of leaving at 5 o'clock, I should have left at 3 o'clock today and took the other earlier flight. Well, you didn't. So you're mad about that too? How far is it going to escalate? This will help you reduce stress by letting things go that are insignificant. But we carry these things and sometimes we carry them on dates with us, we carry them to the workplace. And here's the thing. The way you feel about yourself reflects on the way you treat other people. And when people see this, they get to a point of saying, well, I don't know if this person should be someone I should be around. Landmines. A landmine is like, for instance, you're out with a person and you guys are having a good time. You don't know anything about this person outside of what you guys have exchanged over the internet and you're on a date. Like I took a lady out on a date one night and she went silent the rest of the date. We ate dinner. Her conversation was like Neil. Very binary answers, yes, no. I was doing most of the talking, trying to see whether or not I can get her to engage in a conversation. And she gave me the sigh as if, you know, 
why are we talking? You know, that kind of thing. But she didn't say it. So I read, okay, let me just lay off the conversation since she didn't want to talk, she just wanted to eat. And then we're driving back to her place. Get in front of her place. She leans back in the chair, crosses her arms and looks at me. And I said, okay, so what is it? Am I ugly? Do you don't want to date me or whatever? She says, no, you remind me too much of my ex. She looks too much like him. Now, the whole time she could have told me that, as I said before in another podcast, telling the same story. She could have told me this well before we went on a date. She waited until after she'd eaten. And I said, okay, from now on I pick up on the vibes earlier. Because red flag came up when the conversation wasn't going anywhere. Red flag came up when I picked her up. And it was just, hey, how you doing? And that was it. I should have known. But I was going to try to sit there and make it better. So I stepped on the landmine in that I didn't know I looked like her ex. But see, a person with managed emotional intelligence. Let me tell you what happens. My girlfriend, Monica, used to wear Van Cleef and Art Pell perfume. Very expensive. And whenever I would smell a woman who had that fragrance, which was rare, because not too many people wear it, I would take a moment and I'd turn around because it reminded me of my girlfriend. I was expecting to see her because the scent symbolized her presence in the room when we were together. I said, with that scent, I was kind of trained to look for her. Now, here's the thing. If I would run into a woman who had that same fragrance on, a couple of things would happen. She wouldn't know it. I would have more of a preference for her because it was something that resonated as a pleasant experience in my life. You know, it's just like those of you who may hear a song and then think about that era, that period of time you were in during that time and it was a good time. You're going to turn that music up and sing the song, right? That's the bias we have where we manage our emotional intelligence. But we also have to manage it in a way when it comes down to an individual who may have that same fragrance. You may like the fragrance, but you cannot give them the same privilege as the person that you'd like that fragrance from because of one thing. You don't know this person and you have to treat them differently and learn about them as you go along. So, with your emotions, one size can't fit all, to be fair. They could wear the same fragrance, but if your first partner was a good person, and this person has an agenda that's not so complimentary, you're setting yourself up to be to be done in, excuse me, (coughs) to be done in. You don't want that either. (coughs) 
<coughs> Excuse me. So you have to watch yourself on that. We'll talk more in a moment. Now, sometimes we're deceived by emotional intelligence. We think we can think for the other person. Now, we can be considerate of the other person. But we run into trouble sometimes when we try to think for them. In other words, you don't know best for yourself, I do. You go out to dinner. He takes you to a restaurant. Oh, you're going to love the steak. Yes, but, I, you know, steak may be a little bit too heavy for me. And he goes to the waitress. Hey, we want two steaks. You're going to love it. Ignores anything you say. Ignores even the fact of consulting you about anything. A lot of people get in trouble this way. Especially those command and control type individuals. I know the best for you. You just sit around and wait till I tell you what you need. And this is what happens more often than you think. And once you capitulate and you're passive with this, the person looks at your passivity as acceptance. Now, best way to handle this. I saw a lady handle this one time. The guy was like, oh, no, you're going to love the hamburgers here because we're at a hamburger place. And she said, no, I want the chicken sandwich. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. He said, the hamburgers are bomb here. You need to eat one of those. And so the waitress came over and she said, we're going Dutch. I want the chicken. He's going to have the hamburger. And he was like, well, what do you mean? I was going to pay for that. She said, no. She stood up for herself. He was powerless at that point. But see, you got to remember, you may be dealing with an insecurity. He may have had an insecurity there because he wanted to be the man in charge and make all the rules and tell you what you're going to do. Because that's his perception of manhood. And a lot of times men focus on command and control more so than they do in wise decision making. Now, there's another element of emotional intelligence that we have to look at based on gender differences. Men emote usually to themselves because it's considered a weakness to do it in front of another man or around even the woman. I had a friend of mine years ago that got laid off at a company we worked for. He went out in the first round of layoffs. I went on to another job before they were going to end my position along with my department. And he couldn't tell his wife that he was losing his job. <coughs> what we decided to do was go to a bar. And he said, man, I know if I tell her, she's going to emasculate me. She's going to say, what kind of man am I without a job? She don't want to be with nobody broke or without work. And unfortunately for him, he really didn't assess the kind of woman he was actually marrying. 
And I said, man, come on, you know you can talk to it. He said, no, you don't understand. I have to fit the stereotypical role with her. And he told me one time, he said, when my mother died, he said, don't you know I couldn't even tell her? He said, I couldn't confide in her. He said, I got off the side of the freeway, parked the car, and cried on the side of the freeway after finding out my mother had passed away. He said, if I would have done that to her, she would have said, oh, you're a damn wimp. What the hell are you doing? Because she lacked sensitivity. She lacked understanding. And I told him, in so many ways, she's objectified you as this thing that's supposed to work, a working gel. You're not supposed to have any feelings. You're supposed to be a robot, a machine. And he said, you know, I feel like that. And he went home. And for the first time, he told his wife he failed at something. And that was getting laid off. But she didn't classify it as laying off. She said he got fired. So she calls me up because he had told her that he had spoken to me about it. And she said, so what did he do at work to get fired? I said, he did nothing. He got laid off. You sure about that? I said, yes, I'm sure about that. You weren't there, so how the hell would you know? I just feel he quit the job. How the doubtful? This man had a perfect work history. But see, that's the lack of confidence she had in him. And it was also the lack of confidence she had in herself. And eventually they divorced. And what happens with guys like that, they hold all that frustration and anger within them because it's too much pressure for them to go to a spouse or a girlfriend and tell them with a girlfriend like that because they're going to lash out. That's the reason why a lot of guys with mistresses and ladies let me tell you something I know a lot of you talk about how men cheat on women a lot of these mistresses and girlfriends side pieces are saving many of you from a lot of pain and and trouble and turmoil because they can emote with these women many times where they can't say things to you they can say things to them and they listen And if that woman feels as though that man is mistreated and he can express himself with her, he begins to trust her more than he trusts you. And when that happens, she knows things before you'll ever know it. If he's sick with a disease, guess what's gonna happen? She's gonna be the woman he's gonna call to take him to the hospital. Whether you're married to him or in a relationship, because he feels neglected. He feels as though he can't be himself with you. And you get hung up on that shit of shaming him, emasculating him. You're only pushing him in the arms of another woman, trust me. That's where it's going. 
this is the reason why you see these men act so violently because they never get the chance to express themselves. So they want everybody feeling like they do. These guys that go and shoot up the workplace. Many of them feel as though they can't talk to their wives or girlfriends. And sometimes they should. Honey, you know, I really don't like this boss that I have. Instead of saying, well, you know, you just got to suck it up and just hang in there. Well, baby, why don't we start looking for another job? He's not worth it. That's the support that a lot of men don't get. This is why a lot of these men go to get women in different countries. I dated a German woman once, and at the time, they were having layoffs at the company I was working at. And I told her about it. I said, well, they haven't hit me yet. And she said, honey, that's what we're going to do. Give me your resume. I said, well, I can go and find my own job. She said, no, give me your resume. She put my resume on almost every platform possible. Got all kind of interviews. She proactively became a participant to help not one to point the finger and criticize. Because see, as men, we don't get the help. A woman could be a damsel and everybody in society will stop to help her. Puppies, women, and children. People will stop to help. As a man, (laughs) figure it out. So therefore, with this bias that people don't like acknowledging, what you have are a lot of men walking around frustrated and angry, displaced, feel as though they can't talk to anyone, shamed to talk to a therapist because they feel as though, I'm not crazy, I'm not weak, I'm not a wimp, I'm not a wuss. But we have to realize all of these stereotypes that were put in front of us were just that. Bullshit. How many of you guys remember the Marlboro Man years ago in the Marlboro commercials? When I was growing up, they still had smoking in the commercials. Cigarettes being advertised. They had full-length movies for cars. The Ford Galaxy 500 and the rest of those. And here's the thing. Marlboro man was on his pony and there were three ponies in front of him and he was smoking a cigarette to make cigarettes popular among men. That was the image, the rugged cowboy. And it fell right into the stereotype of Clint Eastwood and Rawhide and all the rest of the westerns that underscored what a man was. Cigarette, his gun, and his horse. At the Mitchell 10 gallon hat. And what has happened recently? We've gotten out of the Western stereotype. Who's into that now? People over 45. Younger people? Mm-mm. They're going to a movie to see no damn Western. But it was sold during a period where 
especially during the 50s and 60s, where you had dude ranches. And dude ranches were nothing more than like Arizona and places where these people who were real horse handlers and ranchers, they would have these people come in from LA and different places who were city dwellers and they wanted to be more masculine. And that was the way they could assert their masculinity. And what these people who were cowboys, who were real people out there, ranchers and so forth, they gave them the term dude. And that's what we use today when we refer to guys. A dude is an amateur cowboy. Now, here's the thing. You see the same thing in rap culture today. You know how you have those rappers and those flossers, the people who try to act like they're rappers and act like they're hardcore, act like they're gangsters and they're not? The suburban rappers. They tell you how hard life was and they came from a middle-class family with two parents working. They lived in the suburbs. But when you see them on TV, you're thinking, oh, man, they had it hard. And he's talking about how they had to go to the 99 cent store and that kind of crap, and they never had to. Or these women that are walking around now talking about how they're a boss bitch and tell you to fuck the dude and to do this and do that and fuck his brother, fuck his friend or whatever as revenge. And yet, these women go back home to their families, their husbands, they have children, and they have decent lives, but they're selling you the lifestyle, not selling you the reality. And the reality is they're just like you. They have morals, values, standards that they live within, but they're selling you that to make money only. And what happens to you emotionally, for some of you, you want to live the lifestyle that they're playing out on the screen or in the music. And they don't even live that lifestyle themselves. And you wind up fucking up your life trying to be like something that they're not. I never understood the logic. That brings me to identity. We try to identify things that will enhance our status, enhance our admirability, our likability. And sometimes we do it because we don't feel that good about ourselves. And so we have to take on a persona. You saw many guys do it over the years. As soon as the thug became popular, there were guys that graduated from college that went out, sagged their jeans, got some Jordans, put their hat on backwards, tried to speak slang. Because guess what happened? These young women were enamored by that the bad boy and boy when Tupac hit the scene all these guys were trying to be thugged out because they saw hey that's the best way to get pussy let's get thugged out 
the problem for many of these women, they didn't realize the consequences associated with that. They didn't realize some of these guys were out there trying to make a name for themselves in the street. Oh, they looked hard and thugged out, but they were no gang member. And then when they got into a situation where it was larger than they were, and they didn't know what they did, were doing, they got their asses handed to them. And so they wound up in prison. And you had a hell of a lot of single moms telling you that the baby daddy's locked up. Drug charges, drive-by shootings, attempted murder, you name it. And then there were the real dudes who were about it, about that life. But you had a lot of posers that were not trying to fake it. That only worked until they ran into somebody that was about that life. Then they had a problem. But they wanted an identity so bad. I remember coming out of the movies after a Charles Bronson or a Clint Eastwood movie, a Superfly movie. People would come out, the guys would come out, and they'd have a whole different persona. I remember when Superfly came out, there were dudes that were going, getting their hair processed like it wasn't nothing. That was the thing. Your mama, I'm your daddy, I'm that inward in the alley. I'm your pusher man, Curtis Mayfield. But see, that's what they went for. But we never looked at the fact that was a negative stereotype. We never looked at the fact that Ron O'Neill and Superfly didn't look like most black people. We never looked at the fact that the car that they had in the movie, the El Capillero, was the car of a guy that was really into that life. We didn't think about the pain that it caused because of all those other people in the, depicted in the film who were black and were killing each other. It didn't cross our minds. But it should have because that was the beginning of the demise of the way people respected each other. Not just Superfly, there were many other black exploitation films that caused that to happen. But they were looking for an identity. People were looking for an identity. Something to cling on to. And popularity has been key. There are women out there that date guys just because they look like a celebrity. I remember this one guy that used to come to the club. The girls used to call him Genuine because they say, oh, he looks like Genuine. He was a security guard. Didn't matter to them. He was genuine. And that's the way it worked. And that's no shade on security guards. But if he had been an average looking security guard, <laughs> he would have had no value. Because see, some women want to have that fantasy. 
that identity, that lifestyle. If you're searching for someone to give you a lifestyle in order for you to get validation as to who you are, you're a sad sack of shit. One thing to keep in mind, especially ladies, a man wants a woman who already has an identity and a presence. It makes it much easier for him if he has his own. See, if he's already successful, well, naturally, he would want a successful woman. You see what Jay-Z did? He married Beyonce. Both of them are successful. Bill Gates and his wife at the time when they were married. Jeff Bezos and his wife. Ex-wife. See, the thing is, when it comes down to someone having their own identity, you merge those two identities together, yours and hers. And when you do that, you create this brand. And with this brand, there are expectations of you as a couple by society. Based on that marriage, based on that relationship, based on that merger. Some women like to be identified as, I'm Dr. So-and-so's wife. Well, we don't give a fuck. Dr. So-and-so ain't here, so you ain't shit. They used to be very prestigious, 1950s, 40s, 30s, 20s, where the husband was the breadwinner, and it meant something. Now you ladies realize that you need to have your own identity. And what usually happens with successful women that get with a man that may not have that identity? He sits in the background. And a lot of times, the reason why many of these celebrities put their partners in the background is not because that person's a failure. It's because they're trying to protect them. You don't see Samuel L. Jackson's wife walking around in front of the media all the time, do you? Nope. Denzel Washington's wife. You don't see that either, do you? We know she exists, but guess what he does? They both protect their families. Oprah and Sedman. She keeps her relationship private. It's her business. Jesse James and Sandra Bullock. Even though Jesse had a little fame with his reality shows, you know, he customized vehicles. Who was the star? She was. You see, here's the thing. The reason why most people pass over people that are identity seekers, groupies, those kind of people, is because they're like leeches. And they get a thrill out of watching them die away. You know, it's like pouring salt on a snail. 
Illuminati melt. The same premise. Yeah, it's kind of sadistic. But they know better than to deal with those people because those people have the potential of bringing them down. One lawsuit, one piece of bad press, and their career is over with. You think they're going to trip up with somebody that's just trying to get an identity? It's not worth it. The one thing that I want you to remember, if nothing else, from this whole identity thing, it begins with you. The things you like, the way you represent yourself, your very core, your values, your standards, your boundaries, all of this shit compilates into your identity. The influences that you've had in your past Not what you own, not what you drive, not what you live in, defines you, but who you are. There was a lady who used to go to the nightclubs, we used to call her the Gucci lady. Everything she had, had the red and green stripe on it, Gucci. But guess what guys never got a chance to know? Her real name or anything about her. And guess what? She was just as quickly forgotten. Nobody cared. Because that was her identity. That's all she talked about. It did a lot for promoting and marketing Gucci. Did very little for her as a person. More in a moment. Now in conclusion, let's look at a few things here. We talked about emotional intelligence, picking up on the emotional cues of others, but yet being emotionally aware of yourself. Understanding what your emotional capabilities are. What are your limitations? The discipline to not let what's in your head come out of your mouth without really thinking through what you're about to say and how it will impact others consideration of others how someone will take something that you may have to reveal to them perceptions of others in regards to their behavior their mannerisms the way they interact with you the way they treat you and sometimes by the very silence that they give you now I'm not asking you to overanalyze or try to become a psychologist on everybody you date These are just things to help you pick up on certain cues so that you're not wasting your time, your effort, and your emotional capital on someone that has no intentions of going anywhere with the relationship. It's to save you that extra effort. Now, I know a lot of times I talk about things that are complex when it comes down to dating, and some people write in saying, hey, it's not a science. Why are you going through all this stuff? You could just go find a woman and be with her. You go find a guy, she could be with him. What makes it so difficult? 
the easy part is actually acquiring the asset, getting with the person. The hardest part is keeping them. Ask some of these people that have been out there who have caught some good people along the way, so they thought, until they opened up the package and found out what they were really dealing with. Some are dealing with past issues. Others are dealing with issues pertaining to their future. Some people are still carrying emotional baggage and they're still angry about past relationships and they haven't matured enough emotionally in order to figure out a way of managing those emotions. Instead, the next person they encounter is the next whipping boy or whipping girl. It happens. Some get into relationships that still spar with someone of the opposite or same gender that they were in a relationship in the past just so that they can get even or get their point across or get their pound of flesh. And this person's innocent has nothing to do with their past problems or past life. There will be people that will use baiting in order to lure you into a situation just for that purpose. There are others that will use their emotions in order to manipulate you into getting things that they want. So they pout until you make them smile. And then you have others that look at it from the standpoint, hey, you won't get to know me because the last person that got to know me hurt me. So they make themselves deliberately difficult to get along with for that particular premise and that reason. So no matter how hard you go through the weeds to try to get to this person to rationalize with them, to get them to talk to you, oh, they're going to make it difficult for you. No. <clears throat> One, they like the attention. Two, they like the mystery around them. And three, more so than anything, they like the fact that they have the leverage to kind of get you to do what they want you to do, the control. They use these things to their advantage. And you have the emotionally ignorant. They're not in tune to their emotions. From head to mouth, they speak without thinking. And these are the people that you will find who will always flout the cup and say something and use the justification, well, I was just mad at that time or I was just feeling that way at that time without consideration of hurting the other person's feelings. And then they're always apologizing. Well, after a while, those apologies, they ring on deaf ears. People get tired of hearing it. It becomes the same old drone. Ladies, you can also identify with this, and some of you guys will as well. You made me angry. It's your fault. How did that person make you angry? Because they didn't do what you want them to do. You didn't want to hear what they had to say. In consideration of your thoughts, 
So he goes and he explodes, punches a hole in the wall, and apologizes. You forgive him. Then the next time it escalates to something even worse. He's now putting hands on you. Police has, have him in cuffs. You're telling them, please don't take him to jail. He's my only source of income, or I love him, or he's the father of my children. And he's crying like a baby, saying, baby, don't let them take me to jail. And the cop's like, now you lay hands on her. She has marks, you're going to jail. Then the next time, something else happens, and it continues to escalate. And how many I'm sorry's are you going to take? Fellas, how many I'm sorry's you going to take? And you go to visit your mother on Mother's Day, and she sees those scratches on your face and on your neck. And she asks you, how did you get those? And she's the only person that you possibly could tell that your woman put hands on you. But you're never going to let the guys know that. You're never going to let your dad know that. You're never going to let the other guys know that. Might let your mom know. Or you might not even show up for Mother's Day just send her a card. Or send her a gift. Or say, Mom, I'll be over after I get off my shift. You love your woman? You didn't want to lay hands on her because you knew if you did, you were going to jail. You know, with her scratching you or whatever, she's going to get out. And she's going to get a slap on the wrist. And she'll be right back, telling you to see Shelby, sleeping with you, giving you head and everything. But then when she gets upset again, she does the same thing. You've written in about the stuff I'm talking about. How many I forgives you are you going to say? How many I'm sorry's are you going to accept? When you first hear something that's not right in your relationship from your partner, your emotional intelligence, that's that red flag that you see, or should see. And many of us ignore it. Again, if you let someone treat you that way, I want you to understand you also treat yourself that way and don't realize it. You just haven't looked introspectively. No one deserves abuse. that's the one thing you have to keep in mind. Now, your identity should not be based on another person. That's solely on you. One of the reasons why I tell all of you listeners that you're your own leaders to your own destiny and I don't consider you followers. I consider you listeners with respect. I don't call you idiots or anything like that, like some of the other hosts do. Because you deserve the dignity and the respect. Because each of you have a hard job ahead of you. Some of you have more struggles than others. 
and you're going for the betterment of your own existence. And it's tough. But you want to make sure that you're equipped with some of the things that will help you along the way. That will help secure your life in a better fashion. Now it says 100% foolproof, nothing is. But the one thing that I will tell you is this. Being aware of who you are through your identity and your understanding of your emotional self is one of the best assets you could possibly have going forward in life. It will help protect you from situations you don't belong in. It will help you decipher and make better decisions on partners you choose. Because what we have to understand is this also. We have to get past the two things, what we want and what we need. Your need should always outweigh what you want. The reason why they should is because your want list should be very short. You know, these people that have these exaggerated desires, you want the handsome man who's wealthy, who weighs a certain amount, certain eye color, hair color, all those preferences that you want. And oh, they extend because your imagination goes. Your needs list is going to be a lot longer. If you really look at it. But we try to shorten that list. We want our wants list to be longer than the needs. And that's where you have it inverted. See, men, for the most part, Women go for the men that they can want initially when they're younger, usually. Men would like to do the same thing, but usually it winds up in that same age group. They go for what they can get. And then as they get older, they go for what they need. You ladies go for what you want. Want didn't work out. Then you go for what you need. And you always have the advantage of avoiding the guy you can get because you're in demand. The man is not as much. So he goes through the get phase and then the need phase. You ladies go from the want phase to the need. And in both cases, you have better choices than in men than we do in women because most of the women may be already in relationships because of course they have a larger range of choice than we do so these are things just to consider but the other thing too is to never devalue yourself based on the emotional intelligence of others they treat you poorly, that's them. Separate yourself from them. You don't deserve to treat yourself poorly just because they're doing it. They're giving you the backhanded compliments in order to foster doubt. Don't allow that to happen. That's their issue. 
and don't waste your time trying to correct them, educate them, train them. That's not your job. Please don't think that that's your job. And one more other thing that I'm going to add. If you're an older woman and you're with a younger man, or if you're an older man with a younger woman, please get out of this mindset of thinking you're going to show somebody something new. Are you going to train them? That only works with someone who has never been exposed to another person before. More often than not, and this is one thing that used to frustrate a lot of women, a lot of older women I used to date. They would tell me, oh, i got to show you a few things in the bedroom. And it's like, that really? I had a 45-year-old woman one time that told me that she was going to show me something in the bedroom, and it was oral sex, as if that was something new. It might have been new to her. I'm like, damn. That was the main event? Again. Going by assumption. Pick up on the vibe. Listen, observe. You will learn a lot more. Don't think in lieu of your partner. If they're not communicating with you, you, it's only one person in the relationship. Remember that. Because they're not communicating with you, how the hell do you know the relationship status? How do you know where you guys are going as a couple? How do you know anything? You don't. So what you've done is got your relationship on a barren island somewhere. Isolated from the world. Don't put yourself in that position. You don't have to. Folks, I once again thank you for listening. You can read some of the articles on facebook.com backslash romantic truth. And you can also listen to the music on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and um, Deezer. Just type in J-A-U-S-A-N. Look for the artist. Click on that. Follow if you don't mind. And they have several music tracks on there. Albums, well, EPs, and singles. Take care. I would like to personally thank you for listening to Romantic Truth. You may follow us on Facebook.com backslash Romantic Truth. You may ask your friends to subscribe to Anchor.fm backslash Romantic Truth. Or you can leave us a message at Anchor.fm backslash Romantic Truth backslash message. You may contact us through email at romantictruthpodcast at gmail.com. Take care. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support.
If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.